Bill Bullock from Texarkana on the border between Texas and Arkansas, 35 miles from Louisiana and somewhere else, I don't know, whatever. There is a country song out there that most of you could remember. It was down in Louisiana, just about a mile from Texarkana. The song overlooks the fact that it is 35 miles from Louisiana, but anyway. <laughs> uh, he is risen. Nothing is the same. Nothing will ever be the same again. <laughs> we have the privilege of living in a time when we know what we mean when we say, He is risen. Now, I want to I take you back in time. I want to take you forward in time. And there was, there's, a, there's a tradition that developed in the early years of Yeshua's resurrection and ascension. Whenever one person would come and say under his breath, he is risen. And so he would know who he was dealing with. And just in case he was not dealing with someone who knew, who understood, who, who walked this walk, those who did would respond, he is risen indeed. So he is risen. <laughs> he is risen indeed. Now, that is an important thing to always keep in mind that every moment that we have, will ever live, it is especially important to keep in mind in the days we live now. The world is very, very tense. Emotions are on edge. We are on the brink of civil war or, or we are on the brink, on the threshold of the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. But we will not accomplish this. Don't, Stu mentioned that I say things that people don't always want to hear. But my job is to come as an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven and tell you we will not accomplish this by political means. I, and I want to apologize in a sense for anyone realizing that my, my calling and my passion is to say things that people do not understand or agree with and immediately it will be a shock to your system. And, and initially there will be a resistance and even a, 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 a cry. I disagree! And that's okay. I want you to understand that that is part of the process to coming in line with his plans and humbling ourselves. Because what we agree with or what we doesn't agree with, do you know how much that's worth? There's nothing in there. I know that hurts too, right? It hurt me when he told me that, that your opinions don't matter anymore, Bill. Why? He is risen. He's risen indeed. 
All that matters is him. All that exists, all that we live for, the only reason we, we live and breathe and move and have our being is because he lives and breathes on us and into us. And that is the realization that we've got to return to in this hour, in this day. And I'm here to kind of call that forth from the people in this room, but I'm also here to call it forth from the people who are watching this broadcast, this live cast, wherever you may be watching. This is a, not a time to revert to business as usual. This is not a time to revert to opinions and attitudes. This is not a time. We stand on the threshold of one or the other. There is no, oh, it's okay. I just need to t tell my piece. I need to get, my, get this off my chest. You get it off your chest, people die. You proclaim your rights, people die. Or they will live. If we do, if we live in his spirit, and we live in his humility, if we live in his teaching, if we live in his understandings, if we live in his, what he has communicated to us, then not only can we live, but they will live. The earth will have a chance, a chance that only exists because he is risen. He is risen indeed. Now, there are a couple of other proclamations I want to make before we get too deep into this, and we'll take a break in a while, and you'll get a chance to get some food, and then we'll come back. But I, don't, I encourage you to, to stick around because we've got some substantive things to say, and some of it, blessed is he who is not offended. And, and I'm not mad at you. I won't, I won't be upset if you're offended at me. <laughs> I, do you know why I will not be upset if you get offended at me? Because he is risen. <laughs> and 50, this is my jubilee. Your hallelujahs are about half, of my, half the thimble full of what I'm feeling right now. <laughs> I appreciate the hallelujahs. That 50 years ago, someone I wasn't looking for stepped in after I'd tried to commit suicide as a 16-year-old boy. Came into my car as I was driving down a street, I was not a churchy people a person. I wasn't a, I certainly, we didn't do the, the Torah. We didn't do anything. We, my parents were, my father was, anyway, long story. We, we didn't do anything. But in a, in, a, in a moment, in a second, on the back streets of Clarksville, Arkansas, and rural Johnson County, Arkansas, it, on those streets, someone stepped into my car as I was driving down the road, driving home, and he called me by name. I did. I didn't. It didn't happen in a church service. Didn't happen in a synagogue. Didn't happen with some evangelistic team were working on me or praying for me. He came into my car. Fifty years ago. Fifty years ago, he came into my car and he called me. He called me his own. He called me. He loved me. He told me he, I, he had watched me since before I was born. A new frame in my mother's womb. And he saved me. When I mean he saved me, I don't mean just some theological saving, okay? He really, really, really saved me because I was contemplating how I was going to do it again. And this time I wasn't going to succeed. I don't mean to tell you he, he saved me in some esoterical or soteriological way. I mean he, he actually saved me. And I've stand here 50 years from that moment. This is my jubilee. 
And he's more real today than he was when he stepped in that car. And, and that's what matters to me. What the politicians say doesn't matter to me. Eventually when it hits my ears, it, it may not sit well. And then I process it through, but he is risen. And, and, and I hear what the news media says, and I, what the press is talking about. I hear what the ch- selectively they choose to, to put out there to try to stir up the emotions and, and cause people to be angry at one another and cause people to break into the civil war they're trying to cross. And initially, a, a great thing on my, my flesh, and I want to scream out my opinion. I want to scream out what I think about it all. He says, Because people listen to your words. You're not like the average citizen on the street. You gave up that right 50 years ago. You gave up that right to to speak your mind, speak your opinion, as if someone should listen to your filthy thought processes and your filthy ways of doing logic and reasoning and you're filthy idea of what's right and what's wrong and what's moral and what's immoral. And just say anything besides he is risen or some variety of that process. So what I'm going to talk to you about today, you understand I am, I'm not here to try to stir you up emotionally. I'm not here to try to, 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 to play with your pseudo intellect, your, your thinking, your reasoning, your process. I'm not here to do business as usual. If we don't get this, if we don't get this, this, this right, I don't mean theologically right. I don't mean philosophically right. I don't mean politically right. If we don't get this right with the spirit of the living God, if we don't get this right with the spirit of the living God, the chance we will have to avert civil war and devastation because everybody wanted to speak their opinion and everybody was on edge and everybody was afraid and everybody was angry and everybody was upset by what the media was telling us and the politicians were telling them and what their church people were telling them. If we miss this chance, look, I'm 50 years in the spirit today. I don't know how many more I've got. I don't want to see us miss this chance. I don't think I could live if we miss this chance. If we just go back to business as usual. Now I want to make the second proclamation. I believe in the coming of the Messiah. And though he tarry, yet will I wait for him. I believe in the coming of the Messiah. And though he tarry, I will wait for him. I will stay here waiting upon him, waiting unto him, waiting for him to move. And I will not move until he moves, no matter what my flesh tells me, no matter what my, my, my intellect, my pseudo-intellect, and my mind thought processes and my opinions tell me to do. I will not move. God help me. Unless and until he tells me. Unless and until he comes. And he moves. 
I have one more proclamation and then we'll get started. <laughs> I've opened this up last time I was here or the time before. And it was actually something that stirred my heart by a little Methodist lady, one of those spirit-filled Methodist ladies, a few years ago. She used a different phraseology or name than I will, but, but the spirits and the message is still the same. Tony, would you come here just a second? This is Tony Young. Would y'all welcome him? He is. <laughs> I mean, we, Tony and I have been working together for 25 years. That's our half of a jubilee. <laughs> we, got, we got a little half of a jubilee. His precious wife, Gwen, back in the middle of the back row right there. Back there. Well, if you've ever seen our group, you've seen Torah Talk with Tony and Bill. This is the Tony part of the Tony and Bill. Anyway. But this little Methodist lady taught us me to, to greet people with this greeting and to look them in the eye and to say, may the love of Yeshua in me greet the love of Mashiach in you and bind us together. In the name of the Father, and of his Son, and of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, I realize we're under um, whatever we're under. And so I will not come around to each one of you. <laughs> With or without a mask. I will not come around to each one of you at this particular moment. And look you in the eye. But please understand, even as you're watching on the television or on the computer screen, as I look around this room looking at you, that that's what I'm wanting to do. My longing is to look you in the eye, each and every one of you. And nothing else matters. None of the other things matter. But here it is. May the love of Yeshua in me greet the love of Mashiach in and may it bind us together in the name of the Father and of his Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen to you. All right, those are my proclamations to begin with because I, I wanted you to kind of understand the passion with which I'll be speaking. And please understand my heart. I am not here to condemn you. I'm not here to offend you. I'm not designing. My plan is not to somehow preach to you like I'm somehow some superhero and you're supposed to sit there and count down and listen to me. I just one of you that he came into my car 50 years ago. And I know you've got a story. We can all sit and tell our stories. I, I love that song that the end of the... <laughs> The day he kissed me. The day he breathed on me. I remember. And, and that, that will fuel, that needs to fuel everything. And, and as we get into this meeting and as we get into our sessions today, I, I want you to, to please, whatever your story is, and I, I, you've got one, and each one of you has a unique story, something like mine. <laughs> Uniquely different for your own situation, but you are here. We are here together. We are on this broadcast together. We're engaged in this process 
to gather because we've had an experience like that. And if there's anybody listening, anybody in this room or anybody who will listen at later days to the replay or the rebroadcast of this, who has not yet <laughs> had him come into your life like that and save you in every way possible and awaken in you a spirit, a life, a, a, a beauty that you have not yet ever experienced. If you've not had that yet, if it hasn't happened yet, I pray for you and I pray that it, it will happen. I pray it will happen the moment you watch this or the moment you're here. The moment, because you see, once it happens, once the life of Yeshua comes alive in you and he breathes his rest upon you, you become some another person. The, the, really, you become the real person. <laughs> what you have been doing was not the real person. It was the confused, deceived, pre-programmed, fearing man, fearing life, fearing death person that he says, I couldn't, I couldn't work with you that way, the way I want to work with you to redeem the world and to redeem all nations and all tongues and all tribes. All right. So the world we know is extremely tense. Would you agree with me? I don't think people realized how tense it was till this week. I kept hearing people spouting off, good people, people who study the Torah, people who worship Jesus. I heard them all spouting off about moral things, and I kept my spirit said, be quiet. You don't know what you're dealing with here. You don't know the danger. You don't know. This is not just you get to be right and the world gets to be wrong. People's lives are at stake. At every given moment, city, the shalom of a city, the shalom of many cities is at stake. I know. We'd rather just be able to say whatever we feel. And we'd rather let the world know we're right and they're wrong. But we'll be the one called to account for the ones that are lost, the ones who are killed, the ones who are slain in, in anger, the ones who are the next victim of violence, the next victim of hate, the next victim of vigilante righteousness. We'll be the ones who are called to count, not because we spoke our mind too loudly, because we spoke our mind at all and we didn't repeat the important process of the words. The important message is he is risen. There is a way beyond this. There is another way besides hate. There is another way besides setting up camps where we war with one another. There is another way to process through no matter what has happened in the world, no matter what pain we have experienced, no matter what loss we have experienced, no matter how disoriented we are by the events of the day and the circumstances, no matter what has happened, there is another pathway through if we just have the calmness and the sense of awareness of his presence to walk on that path rather than the path of what our mouth wants to say or what our attitude wants to convey. The world we know is extremely tense. I cannot emphasize to you enough. This is not two years ago, five years ago, 20 years ago. If we get this right, we can bring 
a great revival, a great movement of the Spirit of God, a great restoration to one, to twenty, to a hundred, to a thousand, to a hundred thousand. It depends on us. It depends on how willing we are to get out of our routine, to get out of our mindset, to get out of our worldviews, to get out of our anger, to get out of our sense of, of we're right and they're wrong, and get back to the mindset of the one who has risen. We're going to have a lot of scriptures. We're going to, go, we're going to do some work today before this is over. This session, we're not going to do that work. We're going to, we're going to just remind you. But I, I want you to remember what Yeshua really taught not what doctrines you heard preached. I, not, not what theological premises people argue on Facebook or with Instagram or wherever they argue these days. I, not that. I want you to remember what he said, what his words were, what his admonitions were, what his directions were, what his, his, his encouragements and his inspiration was, and what he didn't talk about. I think it's just as important to know what he didn't do and what he didn't talk about as what he did do and what he did talk about. What did he not do? Ever. Once. He never once tried to make public policy for the Roman government. The ruling government. He never even mentioned it. He never talked about any of the people the Romans killed. He never mentioned the innocent victims of their bloodlust. He never all went off at the horrendous things that they did and their emperors inflicted upon other people. He just like, acted like it didn't exist or it didn't matter because he had a bigger plan. Because that was not what he came to deal with. That's not what he came. He will never come to deal with that. He will in our life, in our world. Look, I my flesh cringes like yours does. I am just a man, and I'm old. And I'm tired. <laughs> I'm really not that old, and I'm not that tired. But compared to what I was when I was 16, I guess when I was the young warrior and I was the firebrand, and I, I you weren't going to get me to shut up, no matter what you did. Stu says, I'm still kind of like that. <laughs> but it's strange that we, we do everything Yeshua didn't do and we say it's in his name. And we act like our calling down here is to set public policy for the nation of America or South Africa or Australia or New Zealand or England or anywhere else you are. That that's our sort of our calling or our responsibility. When the, the one who is risen, whose life lives within us, never once tried to do that. Never once even gave it a second thought. He dealt with the leper. He dealt with the widow. Not some unnamed people, not a group or category of people. He dealt with a widow with a name and a face. 
he went to her or she went to him, it didn't really matter. In eye-eye contact. This is why whenever my little Methodist lady taught me that little proclamation, that greeting, I began to feel it. That's the way Yeshua was with every human being. He was never one preaching against on politics. He was always talking to people. He knew Millie. He knew Stu. He knew Aaron. <laughs> Where'd he go? <laughs> he, he knew you. He knew me. He, he, this is how he worked. This is how we are called to do as well. If we're in him, this is our message. We don't, we don't deal with, we don't tilt with windmills. Don, for those of you who have a little bit of literary background, Don Quixote, we are not Don Quixote. We are not to tilt with the air, tilt with windmills, make up stuff to, to be angry about and think we did something whenever we, we slashed our sword in the air. Whether it was the sword of our tongue or the sword of our, of our, of our faith or the sword of our, of our religion. We're not, Don, we're not here to sway windmills. We're here to heal people. <laughs> oh. And I know, again, blessed is he who's not offended. If we keep doing the same thing we've been doing, if we keep focusing on the same thing we're focusing on, the world will keep getting tenser and tenser and tenser. Because you see, we are the key. We are the secret. The secret cell of the kingdom of heaven, it dwells in Golden, Colorado, and surrounding area in Genesee and the other towns where you come from. It dwells wherever you live and where I am and where Tony lives in Texarkana. And we just deposited another vessel down here in Denver. Tony's daughter is going to come live here for a while. So. Amen. And she's a princess of the kingdom. So, Now, <laughs> Yeshua sees real people with real faces with, and he knows their stories he cares about their stories he doesn't just care about their salvation as we think about in theological he doesn't just care about them getting food although that's an important factor as well he doesn't just care about them getting uh, able to be able to, 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 to have a conversation without breaking down into tears like the broken hearted that we talk about binding up the broken hearted is one of the things he wants us to do he said, he said it's not just about the one it is about seeing that person and their role that they were designed uniquely from the foundation of the world like you they have also a role they were designed to play in the grand story in the grand kingdom arising of the cell the super cell of the kingdom's ways and the kingdom's healing that is what you were supposed to see with regard to unique individuals and not slay a bunch of windmills that nobody really cares about or believes in anyway, except the ones who are trying to pump us up, media, politicians, government officials, and sometimes religious leaders, not that I'm here, but <laughs> in that process. Now, so here we are. We have this threshold that we have come to. The world we live is full of demonic wisdom. James talks about there's two kinds of wisdom. I hope you remember that. James uh, is a brilliant uh, exposition of why we don't do the things everybody seems to want to do. 
because everything that they want to do, everything everyone wants to talk about, everything is on, on social media, everything is on the regular media, everything is on the public, is all demonic wisdom. A hundred percent of it is demonic wisdom. Why can I say that with such confidence? Why would I make such a, a, de- a strange declaration? Because the wisdom that is of God comes from above, and it is peaceable, holy. Could I just stop and we just take a moment to understand that every time we listen to something broadcast into our ears or see it posted on social media that stirs up our anger, our outrage, we just got played. We just got suckered punched because the wisdom that it is pronouncing to us is not wisdom from above that is peaceable and holy. It's that other kind of wisdom. And that's the kind of wisdom. You, I mean, James doesn't cut it, pull he punches with that. He says, let me tell you where it's from. So you know. So you feel a little thing coming up on the back of your neck every time you get in the, in the, in the nearness to it, in proximity to it. Where you, the, the, back of you, the hair on the back of your neck should stand up every time you open up Facebook, Twitter, or watch any five-minute section of what's in the news. It should, it should be not at the thing they're talking about, at the demonic lie that they're projecting into your life. The misrepresentation of the priorities of what should happen, what is important upon the earth. There's a better way. Shaul had, Paul had something to say about that. He called it a more, well, at least in English translations, a more excellent way. I like that. Even in the English, it sounds pretty good. I have, and forgive me if if this is unusual or uncommon for your ears, and your ears are kind of burning a little bit, or your heart's kind of saying, but that can't be right. I've got to be be able to do what I want. Forgive me if if this is not hitting you yet, but I'm going to keep plowing away till it does. (laughs) Not because I'm mad at you or because I think I'm better than you are, because I only have one message. I only have one king. I only have one purpose on the earth. I'm a one-trick pony <laughs> for the kingdom of heaven. Yeshua came upon, came in the earth, and, and you know, he, he didn't announce theological principles. He said something very strange. His, his first message that everybody heard and everybody responded to, and didn't, it, it, it shook, it, 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 it grated on the nerves. How dare you? How, if you unless you're not, unless you're, <laughs> unless you're the Messiah, you can't say this. And what he said was, English, <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Oh, wait a minute, I left out a word. <laughs> 
didn't I? I left out a word, didn't I? First word was not your, the kingdom of heaven. That's the message, and that's the reason why the word. Now, that, that repent word is fascinating because if you're, you, you, we, we're here amongst, amongst the Hebrews and, we, and, and people who, who read Hebrew and, and understand Hebrew, listen to Hebrew, we, we understand that word repent is, is sort of a theological premise to the Christian world, but it's not to the Hebrew world. It's not theological at all. <laughs> it's not a, a doctrine. It's not, a, it's not a, a protocol. It's a total transformation of the lifestyle. It's teshuvah. It is not a turning away from your sin, although that will happen in the process. I mean, what happened to me in 16 years of age in that car was not that I turned away from sin. I turned full on to the face of my Messiah, my Redeemer. And in the process, sin fell off of me like nothing. Like it was useless and worthless and the biggest waste of time I'd ever engaged in. It wasn't that I turned away from the sin. I turned to the King. I turned to the Messiah. I turned to His face. I turned to His beauty. I turned to His goodness. I turned to His calling. And that's, that's what Teshuvah is all about. Talk to us about, 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 about repentance, and we, we sort of look at you like, do you know what you're talking about? Because this is not about getting over one or two sins. This is about becoming one, unified with, and totally submitted and surrendered to this, the king himself and to his plan and to his strategy and to his timing and to his words. It means you give up the right to have your opinion. If unless you want to go back and leave your Messiah waiting for you to come back after you finish voicing the opinion. And I've tried that multiple times. I hope you have a do you have a disciplined relationship? I mean, do you have a relationship with him where he can discipline you? Where he does discipline you. Nobody has to tell you. No, no Bill Bullock has to come to Texarkana, Texas, and speak something to you because you got a relationship with him, and you go off and you spill, spew your opinion. You you talk about your anger, or anxiety, or fear, or whatever, and you whatever, and have somebody else, else isn't living up to your expectations. They ain't doing the right thing, and you walk back into his presence. <laughs> no, have you been there? Have you been there lately? Are you there not now? <laughs> I mean, here, here, here's that. I love that his discipline to me is the most precious thing in the world because I am confident that he won't let me go very far without, you know, Hosea talks about these things. And one English translation says they're cords of loving kindness. <laughs> it's a funny kind of loving kindness to most people who look into this process. Those cords of loving kindness will cut into your flesh. They will burn against you, against your, against your thought processes and your mind. They'll, they'll burn up, they'll brand you with the mark of his discipline. And when you get through, when he gets through, you'll say, thank you, thank you. Because in that discipline, you saved me. And who knows else whose life you saved by virtue of pulling me back out of my opinions, out of my attitude, out of my projection, out of my self-will, out of my anger, out of my frustration. You pulled me out of that. You Not only did you save me, what about my wife? My children. 
You saved my, you saved my relationship with my, my people, my coworkers. You saved my relationship with the people at my faith community. Because I was headed down that road. <laughs> I was, I was, they were something they were doing was wrong, and I didn't like it, or I thought it was wrong. I, I wanted to believe it was wrong. So I I was pulling against that thing. And as long as only one of you met was the other person in the group, you could you could have that negative opinion. But then you met Yeshua. And he looked at you with his eyes. He, you know, he didn't have to beat you. <laughs> All he has to do is pull that little cord of loving kindness. And suddenly, if you're like me, and I hope you better than me, hope you're further along this process than I am. But the moment I feel that, that jerk, it's like, oh. <laughs> and then I come raise my head up and say, thank you. I needed that. Boy, did I ever need that. My family needed that. My my community needed that. My faith community, my, 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 my city needed me to be disciplined by you, to be pulled back and, and told, son, now's not the time to proclaim that. If there ever will be, this is not that time. What is your message? He is risen. <laughs> He is risen indeed. What is your message? May the love of Yeshua in me greet the love of Mashiach in you and bind us together in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. I believe in the coming of the Messiah. And though he tarries, I will wait for him. And I'll be here waiting for him when he comes, looking upward, looking skyward, looking heavenward, waiting for the feel of the, of the pull of the cords of loving kindness he wrapped around me in that car. And I was 16 years of age, and he'll never, he has never let me go. And he never, when he kissed you, when he, when he breathed his life upon you, he put those cords of loving kindness upon you. Now, for... If we get rebellious, if we get totally rebellious for our own sake, I wish I didn't speak from experience. <laughs> when we get rebellious and we get all of cop in our own importance, our own self of worth and our own self-will, we get of our own opinions. We, we, we think of all our political sides and all of our theological sides. And when we get all caught up in that, out of his abundant mercy, and his absolute confidence in what he did for us. The combination of the two, he allows those cords to get loose where we can speak things and stew things and say things and we don't even feel the tug. Don't rejoice. Don't celebrate. That's your worst moment when you don't feel the discipline anymore. Because what he said is, they have to run. They're going to cause damage. I'll try to, I'll fix it as best I can. I'll fix it and I'm good. And I know eventually they'll be back, but at this bigger stage, they're toxic. Blessed is he who's not offended. <laughs> okay. I love you. I'm not mad at you. I'm, I'm talking from personal experience and the experience of a Jubilee diplomat. You don't want that experience where you can say anything you want to. And go, I guess I told them. 
You, you don't want the experience where you can, you, can, you can blast your spouse with your emotions, your negative emotions. You don't, you don't want that experience and feel no regret and feel no sense of wrong in doing it. As you, you called them names. You treated them disrespectfully. You dishonored them. You, you insulted them. You hurt them. You wounded them. And you said, but they deserved it. You don't want that to happen. You, you don't want that to happen because what that means is you're on a spiral down and you're not just going to take your wife or your husband or your children or your grandchildren down that long pipe with you. You're going to take everyone you contact with, everyone you're on social media with, everyone that you have conversations with, everyone you text to, you're going to take them all down that negative spiral with you. And there's only one hope for that. And you don't want to be the one to say, Yeshua, I messed this up really bad. And they're broken because I got in myself and in my attitude and in my emotions. And there's dead people out there or dying people out there or wounded or broken people out there because I couldn't keep my mouth shut. And I couldn't keep my emotions in check. And I couldn't surrender them to you. I couldn't let you tell me what you thought. I had to tell everybody what I thought. And now it's a mess out there. Would you please fix it? <laughs> Would you please heal it? And you don't want to be in that moment of him looking at you like, yeah, did you learn your lesson at least? Did you at least learn the damage you can do? The harm that you can inflict? Did you at least get the understanding that you don't want to go there again? You don't want to be on this spiral of negativity and anxiety and fear and worry and, and outrage. I saw a very a thing that broke my heart today. I was on the way in and or getting ready to come in and I thought well I'll check Facebook just to be sure what my family's doing see how my family's doing and one of my daughters she'd been listening to too much news too many social media posts and she led with I'm outraged And then the hellfire fell all around at nobody, at a windmill. <laughs> she wasn't talking to anybody. She was, she was, oh my God. If I hadn't done it a hundred times myself, <laughs> I could sit there in, in judgment of her and say, oh, you're, you got off. You, you lost it. But now I recognize that's my own flesh and blood and she learned it from me. And fix it, please. Please fix it. Now, I, I'm, I know I'm, I'm kind of throwing a lot out. We, we want to celebrate on Shavuot, right? And the ultimate end of this process is a big celebration. <laughs> but in the meantime, when it gets to get a little bit tense up in here, <laughs> we need to have a little bit of understanding, but we're going to come out of this thing, you know, they always say like, like a calf released from the stall. But before you can jump and leap and have your kick your back legs up and, and lift up your heart and sing and shout like a calf released from the stall, you've got to have been a calf, calf 
in the stall. <laughs> and boy, when calves get in stalls, anybody have cattle? You know what they do to calves in stalls? <laughs> Good. Yeah, they, they, they bind them up really tight. You squeeze shoot or some other variety of a machine, or, or, they, or they find a way to tie them down where they can begin to do anything they want to to them. They, they inject them with stuff. They cram stuff in their mouth. They do other things to them. I'm not going to talk about them. And it's the most uncomfortable experience you, you ever want to have is being a calf in a stall. So now you can imagine why it feels so good <laughs> to be a calf released from the stall where nobody's poking at you and looking at you and you don't have this sensation that, that they could kill you any moment they wanted to. They could take your life. They, they could reject you. They could cast you out. You don't even know what they are there for. The calf release from the stall. Our joy that we're going to get at the end of this whole story is the fact that we've come through this process but we've learned its lessons, and we've received its medication. We've received its injection. We've felt the test. We've felt the hand of our master upon us, pushing to see where it hurts us, pushing us to the threshold of pain to figure out what we need most in our next season of life, and we will have gone through that, and we know when we get through, not only did we survive that process, the one who put us in the stall in the first place has a plan for us that involves us living and, and moving and, and being as healthy and as strong and as viable and as joyful as possible. And that's his plan for each one of us. Tony, would you come up here for a minute, if you don't mind? I, I've introduced him already. Tony's going to have to leave us after a while, so he may not get to hear, see for the second half or the second set. So I just wanted to kind of give Tony a little bit of time, and, and if you would uh, kind of explain to the to the group, what your feelings are at this bigger stage, and what you want to, what you would love to impart to these good folks in Denver, Colorado, and the world. Awesome! Hello, everybody. <laughs> uh, a couple of things. I'm I'm new here in Denver, so some things have happened that's um, that's kind of captured my attention. Um, one is that I'm I, I didn't realize that I would have trouble with my allergies here. No. Yeah. Drove in from Texas, been dealing with allergies, and um, just <laughs> I've been I've been feeling, I, and and nobody gets offended by this because they do have the you can buy marijuana here, so don't get offended with what I'm saying. <laughs> but I've been walking around feeling like I'm high all the time, right? I'm like I haven't had any weed. I don't go. I don't I don't smoke weed, right? So but I'm walking around feeling like I'm high all the time. I'm like, what the world is going? I was Rocky going somewhere Mountain. with that. She, she beat me to it. Ms. Millie beat me to it. I'm going somewhere with that. So that's not how I felt in Texas, right? But that's how I felt. That's how I'm feeling here. It's, it's, it's a matter of changing the environment, right? It's a matter of transitioning to a higher plane, right? And Shaviot is a matter of transitioning to a higher plane, a, a higher way of functioning, and it's so, it's so important that we understand that, that, that the divine narrative have been written already, yeah. right? And so any narrative that's taking place right now does, does not overshadow. It doesn't transcend the narrative. He, he's already written the narrative. And what I love about the, the festivals or what I love about the Moadim is that they reveal his narrative. And everything that happens in our world happens inside of the narrative. In other words, 
Pentecost didn't fall on COVID-19. Right? Anybody believe that? By myself, right? No, COVID-19 fell within the narrative. Right? It doesn't have a separate story. And man doesn't, and here's, here's, here's what I've been struggling with, and, and I know you, you feel the same way too. So, narcissism, right, has become toxic in, in, our, in our culture, right? And it's so toxic that man, out of that toxicity, feels like he writes the narrative. Right? And he keeps trying to rewrite it until it fits what he wants. The only problem with that is that God's already read the narrative. Right. Hallelujah. <laughs> we sing about it this morning. I, 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 was just, I was just bursting over the words of the song. We sing about it this morning. That, that was the narrative. That's our narrative. And COVID-19 doesn't get to rewrite it. It gets to be a part Right? And God uses everything. Anything that happens in the story, he uses it to finish the story. Amen? So, so as, I was, as I was coming up, and I'll see if you guys can agree with me. As I was riding here, you know, I was already in Denver, and, and Denver has not been really friendly to me so far. I know, I know, I know my daughter's moving here. I, I, we're going to, we, I found some friendly people right here. That's all that matters. Amen. Notice come to the mountain. That's, and that's what I did, right? So I drove here. I you know, put the GPS system. I drove here. My car's been, my car's been uh, somebody bagged into or hit. I don't know what they did. But, you know, uh, in Denver, right? So, you know, so I'm being, I'm going through a test. I'm in, I'm in mid-bar right now. <laughs> what I mean by that is, you know, I'm really, uh, I'm really particular about my stuff. I take really good care of it, <laughs> and, and I have a tendency to react, overreact to people messing with my stuff. Can I be real? Are you going to be real with me this morning, right? We're all, we all being real because this is mid-bar, and we're coming out of the wilderness anyway, so we might as well get real. So, so, so I'm in there, and I'm, I'm like, oh, man, you know, oh, you know so, so, so I park. I pay to park. Right? Because I don't want to park on the street because something may happen to my vehicle. So I pay to park. And then Denver has a riot. Denver has a riot. And they're trying to, I don't know what they were trying to do, but whoever in that parking lot messed with my car. And I just bought the thing for my wife. <laughs> And, 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 he run, and I come out, and I'm like, <laughs> but on the way here, I realize what God's doing in me and in you and in us. On the way here, I'm driving, and I'm, and, and I'm up, 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 right? Ears popping, <laughs> right? I didn't have any gum this time, so I wasn't ready for this one. Here's what Things are happening in my body to let me know that I am climbing, I am moving in a higher, yeah. I, am, yeah. I am about to have to function 
differently because of the climate of where I'm going. And my body is reacting. My flesh is reacting. My My flesh is reacting to mountain environment. It's almost acting like, and don't don't get offended, but it's almost acting like it's allergic to higher planes. Like the higher I get, the more my allergies act out. Or we could say the more my flesh acts out. (laughs) Shaviot, I knew it. I I heard. My mentor and I, we heard, I call him Papa B, right? Because that's who he is to me, and I'll tell you why, and then I'm done. Papa B. Anybody watch basketball? Yeah. All right. I mean, some of you may be on a fast and television, not on a thing like that. All right. All right, you got Denver. All right, okay. So we're going to use some examples that maybe maybe you understand. All right, so uh, right now they're showing the, um, uh, they're going back and they're looking at the Bulls dynasty. I see a couple of guys going, yeah, I watched that. So you know. <laughs> so they're going back and they're looking at the bullseye. It wasn't necessarily meant to be a story about Michael Jordan, but it became that, right? Because Michael Jordan, without Michael Jordan, the Bulls wouldn't have the dynasty that they had, okay? So we'll talk about like that. And I, I'm going to sound, from a psych- psychological standpoint, I'm going to sound a little grandiose. So forgive me right now, all right? Grandiosity. So... I considered myself in the religious field, in the African-American culture of religion, I was being groomed to be the Michael Jordan of the religious community in African-American culture. (laughs) I taught sermon preparation in, in Bible college, right? So I taught hermeneutics and all this stuff. And, I, and so I was, whenever I would mount the stage in the podium, I knew that this is who I was. But I was a Michael Jordan without a Phil Jackson. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I got to go back. Okay, Phil Jackson is like this phenomenal coach. Right? That took the Bulls to the championship because of his ability, you know, his coaching ability, coaching style, all this. The, the, the inventor of the triangle offense. You may not know what that is either, so I'm just getting deeper in it, too. All right. So, anyway, without Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan's talent, skill, all the things he brought to basketball would have really not achieved the results without a Phil Jackson. God knew who I needed in my life to bring all of that talent and skill or whatever it is that I was operating in. Some of it was foolishness, right? Some of it was religious pious, pious piety. I, was just, I just thought I was something that I wasn't. And, and watch this because here's where we're going. It was when, I, when he told me to come and sit under Papa B, Bill you call him, and he started going back. I, I, I knew what he taught because I, I was, we've been friends for, for a while. But it was when he started bringing back to me the Torah, right? 
Because where I was preaching and teaching, that wasn't the message, right? Are you listening to me? I was, I was religious. I had a sermon. I knew how to prepare sermons. I could structure it. But it, but it wasn't necessarily Torah. It was, I wasn't looking through the lens of the Torah. And so what God did was he put a mentor in my life to start dealing with me about the way I look at the word of God. Now, now here's where we are right now. We're talking about waiting, right? I would not have been able to wait as we've done in an upper room type environment. I believe that this is a global ecclesiastical, I believe first before we got here, we went through a, a global ecclesiastical circumcision. And then I think that led us to what we're experiencing now as a global upper room experience, which I think leads us to a global outpouring of the, of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's go back. You can't have a global, because that's what we shout off of, because that's the celebration, is the Pentecost. What happens when they left, when they left the upper room is where we all, especially religious people, that's where we get our joy, is that when they left the upper room, they were on fire, they had power, the wind of the Spirit had blown upon them. But don't forget, before they left the upper room, they were in the upper room. And before the upper room, I don't think they could have waited in the upper room without the 40 days that they spent with Yeshua and the things he did and showed them. Are y'all listening? If it wasn't for those 40 days, the 10 would have been a failure. They needed that. We needed that. And there are some people that are in our spheres of influence that's missed it, so I'll close with this. So what happened is, is when I met Papa B, he started walking me through this process, this, this cyclical study of, uh, of the Parshas and that. And I began, the first thing that he gave me, I'm, I'm a, uh, and by, by tr- my background is, is, is mental health, and I'm certified as a de-escalator. And so what I understand is how the human mind works, Right? So what he did was he walked me through the studies of the Torah. And let me tell you what Parsha did. The first thing Parsha introduced me to was the, was the ultimate de-escalation. It's called Sabbath. Shabbat Shalom is what we say. When I experienced Sabbath, when I, when I finally experienced Sabbath for real, not doctrinally, but when I truly experienced Sabbath was when I was de-escalated. And everybody knows when you're de-escalated, now all of your systems come back online. Right? Now I'm back online. My systems are functioning. I'm no longer activated by everything. Right? And hyper-religion has been broken. Amen? Now I can hear. I can shema. How many of you are ready to Shema? You, not unless you're de-escalated, right? Because before de-escalation, you have tonal vision. You can't hear him. You, you can only focus on what is in front of you. Right? And so you get de-escalated. And, I, and so he walked me through the Torah partials, and all of a sudden, I'm hitting Sabbath, and now I'm welcoming the Sabbath. Now I have a little ceremony, if you want to call it, that I do with my family. We're all excited. I got the Sabbath. The wife is lighting candles. We're saying, I'm like, oh, this is exciting. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm resting. 
and my systems, all of my reproductive capacities have come under a Sabbath-type circumcision that has removed the foreskin of my flesh, cut away the foreskin, the extra flesh, and allowed me to step out of that flesh into a life that he's called me to. And so this Shaviot, here's what I've learned above everything else. I've learned how to share space with people in a transformative way. I've learned how to be present with the people in my life. I've learned how to listen. And I've learned how to share space with those individuals. I've learned how to wait until God says do something different. I don't, I don't feel rushed by anybody. I don't feel rushed by any group of people. I don't feel pushed into anything. Because even when I leave Sabbath, I take the Sabbath experience with me. I take the environment of Sabbath with me. And here's what I wanted to, to, to close with you guys. When I, when I was here and you guys were doing worship, I was looking at Stu dance. I still, I'm, I'm, having, I'm still trying to get there, right, where I will dance, you know. And, but I saw Stu doing it. I was like, he did it. Yeah, right? I wasn't too impressed with Dave because Dave looks like a dancer. I'm like, ah, oh, he looks like a dancer. Give me somebody that don't look like Stu didn't look like a dancer. Steve looked like a man's man, right? And then he gets up there and he takes his shoes and he's I'm like, wait a minute, I could do that. I could, I could dance if Stu did dance. But as I'm watching the environment, as, a, as you went through worship, as you went through the songs, I saw something here, right? In your worship, you have captured the essence of who he is. And now the job is to take that environment and introduce the world to what you captured here. That's what silence the riots. It's a shalom. Shalom. That's what captures the soul of men. Because every man at the core of his being, he wants to hear when they broke into the stores and they ran over each other and they fought over rights and over political arguments if they just could have heard You can kind of see why I love Tony. <laughs> oh, boy. You know, I, I want to I cover a few things very briefly, and then we'll go to our, our lunch. But I, I, before I do that, 
I just I want to ask you a question. And it, it, it is rhetorical. If you wish to answer out loud, you will and will and do so, but it really is a rhetorical question. Do you want an encounter with God? We, are you willing to pursue it? Are you willing to humble yourself and take whatever it is when it comes? <laughs> are you willing to listen to what he has to say? Are you willing to let it calm the anger and the frustration and the, and the, and the anxieties of your soul? Are you willing to let it turn you around in a different direction than you were going and change everything about the way you do everything? Do you want a visitation where he comes and dwells with you? I mean, encounters are wonderful things. But then they're over. But when he comes and visits you and he, he, he shakans, he, he dwells, he lowers himself into your space and rests upon you and becomes the wind that blows you around, and becomes the, every time you open your mouth, something of his thoughts comes out of your mouth. And every time you look at another person, suddenly what you see is not that other person or their race or their, or their health or their age or their gender or their political position or, or their sin. Suddenly what you see because the Ruach, the breath of God is resting upon you, is shakaning with you, is visiting upon you. Suddenly your eyes become open and you see that person for the design beautiful specimen of life that God designed them to be, though they don't even know it yet. <laughs> You see a level of potential that you never would have even looked for because you've been too busy judging their behavior or their attitude or just the way they look different than you do in the first place. Their vocabulary, whatever it may be. Now, this, this is a visitation. So I'm, I ask you to point these questions in order. Important. Because if you want an encounter, we've passed the first step. That you're, you're, you're done with religion as usual. You've got a zero-based budgeting approach. That's in public administration. A zero-based budget means you don't come to us and say, I need 25% more than I got last year. You come to justify you're still going to be here next year. <laughs> and you, start, you, have to, you have to come forward and say, there's a reason for me to be here. There's a reason, and, and it is not nothing that I've done before matters. It's all about where we're going from here when we start with zero-based. Okay, so... That means, how about my prayer life? My idea of what prayer is. What my idea of what being in prayer with other people looks like. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but how many have a developed theology of prayer? Don't raise your hands, please, because the next question is going to blow you out of the water. <laughs> Second question, are you ready to let it go? Are you ready to let the master dwelling within you? teach you how to pray all over like you never ever knew before in your life I, I, I hang around intercessors so I know what I mean what I'm talking about when I say this they hate me but they love me because <laughs> they're all so good at what they do <laughs> 
But there's more. There's so, so much more. The idea of humanity connecting verbally with the creator of the universe, the passion, the power, the energy of heaven's courts downflowing, downdrafting into the human being, and now the same things that are being said in the heavenlies are coming out of your mouth, and you can't claim any authorship of it, and you can't, you wouldn't even dare claim that somehow you thought this stuff up, and it was your plan, and your strategy, and your assignment. It is because you are having the indwelling presence of the Holy One, and you are just surrendered to it. And you can't think of any place you'd rather be or anything you'd rather have than that level. Of, how about worship? <laughs> what, if we, what if we started all over again? Not that we did everything wrong, not that we did anything wrong, but that there's more. <laughs> But that there's so much more, the dance, the, 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 the banners, the flags, the, the prayer, the things that are going on during that prayer time. What if, if every aspect of it, there was so much more we haven't tapped into yet? <laughs> what if all the things we have learned were kindergarten? What if everything we know, all the, all the songs, all the chords, all the, all the worship sets, all the, what if all the connections of beats and dances that go to them and what if all that we have ever learned is just kindergarten stuff and the world could be changed by real people surrendered in the visitation of the Holy One to what he wants to do what would it look like I mean I mean you just, if you want to just get a little glimpse a little snapshot of a picture ask John the Revelator What is this? Tell me, what do the angels see? <laughs> what do the elders see that makes them all fall down? What do the angels see that makes them cry, holy? Holy. What? Who is he? Oh. Majesty, majesty. I mean, I don't know, that's just a little glimpse that we get by, by a man's trying to write down, scribble down what he saw, and with no words to explain that. There were four living creatures. And there was, and each one had these different phases, and, and there were 24 elders seated in thrones around the throne, and the one who sat on the throne. And Buffy was the rainbow rainbow. <laughs> we saw a rainbow last night over over it. David and, and, and Laura's house. What amazing. A, a, a rainbow that spread completely over, over his throne. And there were voices like the sound of who many waters and there was lightnings and thunders. And, but it was beautiful and it was... What if we only know this much about worship? And a lot of what we know is really distracting to what he really wants to say. And as we grow, and as we walk in the visitation, as we, as we stand and live in encounter, we begin to throw it away. It's like, okay, that was childish things that we did that were good, that were pleasant for, chi for childish times. 
But we have a kingdom. We have, we have a, the world. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the second part of the Yeshua's message. Not just make Teshuvah and go back and get caught up in this great reverie of who he is and what he's done and tie yourself to him forever. Now, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand and it needs a voice upon the earth. Just one little hint about this and we'll, we'll go on, but I mean, a few years ago, I was a worship leader. That's what I did for 20 years. And I could write a worship set and I could sing the songs and I could write the songs. And I did. Until one day the question was posed to me from some voice I, I recognized from when I was 16 years old in that car saying, do you want to sing your songs? Or do you want to sing heaven songs? And no, there was no question. There wasn't any, any issue anymore. There, there really wasn't any point any, anymore in even having a discussion about this anymore. I, I don't, as between heaven songs <laughs> and my songs, I thought they were really good. <laughs> right? Our songs are really good. I mean, they are. And they are. But as between ours and heaven songs, they're... There's no comparison. And, and, and what is the impact of our songs versus heaven's songs upon the atmosphere and upon the world and upon the people and upon our families? What is the, what is the difference if we actually sing heaven's songs and play heaven's songs if we're musical or dance heaven's songs and heaven's dances? Wow. You see, okay, I'm going to pass on. All right. By way of somewhat summary. In the second half, I'm going to do some time traveling. We're going to talk about Sinai, 1476 BCE or thereabouts. And we're going to talk about Jerusalem, 3731 CE or thereabouts. And we're going to talk about today. And what is similar? Uh, two of these things are not well, Sesame Street's old and rusty. But, but these things are, what is the... the what is the unifying factor between what happened at Sinai, what happened in Jerusalem in the year of, I call it the year of Yeshua's journey. I don't like to call it the year of his crucifixion because it's so much bigger than, it's that, but it's so much bigger than that. I don't like to call it the year of his resurrection because it's that, but it's so much bigger. I don't like to call it the year of his ascension because it's that, but it's so much bigger than that. It's, it's the whole journey, the life, the world-changing, heaven-touched earth and moved in protocols among people, among groups, and changed atmospheres, and the whole journey. What is the common thread between Sinai and that day, that year, and today? What's going to be the common thread? We'll talk about that in the second half. I want to tell you about we have unleavened in the last seven weeks when I begin to realize that Shavuot uh, and the whole counting the Omer period is about, how many of you know it's not really about numbers at all? It's about, it's about unleavening with what we have in us, what has been taught to us and what we have absorbed from our cultures and from our news medias, about unleavening. We have seven days of unleavening. 
where we just put all that stuff aside. Then we start this process of, of re-leavening, re-leavening the kingdom way. So we have come to the conclusion. We've come to the seven times seven. We've come to Shabbat to the seventh power, as I like to call it. Shavuot is Shabbat to the seventh power. Shalom, seven times, seven times, seven times, seven shaloms. And this is why we are at this day, at this three-day season, really, we're looking at in this process of saying, okay, we are now at a place where we have hopefully re-leavened, we unleavened all the garbage. We unleavened all the uh, old Chafe. And we've re-leavened with the, the, the messages and the presence and the beauty and the majesty of, of our king and his plan for the world and for us and for the mankind and for the creation. That we've, we've re-leavened it with his ideas of what he designed the world to be, even in our day, in our time, and using us in this process. We've been, we have been re-leavening it. Now, here's... Here's the problem. You know we do this every year. I know you noticed. (laughs) For a long, 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 long time, we have been doing this, repeating this, unleavening, re-leavening for seven weeks. A little bit extra because we got the the time of of, uh, first fruits and we, but right about seven weeks plus, we, we unleaven, then we re-leaven, and we're ready to come online. I call it we get the chip. I know. You, some of you look at me funny. Some of you worried about that chip, that other chip, that world chip. Oh, we get the chip. We get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit becomes like the SIM card. It's God's SIM card in our cell phone. It's got his memories in it. It's got his pictures in it. It's got his images in it. The SIM card has his contacts in it. The SIM card has everything we need. All the applications and all the programs are in the SIM card. We got the chip. Now, the thing about that chip is when you have that chip operational in you and it's online, you aren't so worried about that other little chip. It has no place in you. It has no po- You are not even tempted to think about it because you got the chip, not a chip. The chip of God. It's like people with the mark of the beast. It's scary unless you got the mark of the king. The mark of the king trumps the mark of the beast any day of the week, any day of the year, any day of the century or the millennium. So get the mark of the king and then when you... See them coming at you with the mark of the beast. It's like, oh, that? You say, Bill, that's, you're challenging me. I hope so. I hope this is the breath of God breathing through my mouth to speak these words to you. But the thing about it is we do this Shavuot thing every year. I've been here four years. Pine before that, I guess. I don't know. Every, this time of year. And every year I say something like this. Um, this, this one's different, but this one's different. It's got a little less, yeah, anyway, a little more passion because we're at an important, important time. 
This time is absolutely critical to the world around us. We can't. But the thing I, one thing I do say regularly is we can come out of this the same way we went in.